Beam me up. <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. It matches the theme. The only red shirt that's not gonna die in the story. So good point. He is. Also, you know they never actually say "Beam me up, Scotty." No, they just say "Beam me up." I don't know how "Beam me up, Scotty" ever happened. Well, I mean that was his name. Yeah. But it was never part of the thing. Just like they don't say, Luke, I'm your father. Yeah. He never actually says that. And actually, in an interview, he said that he thought that that's what it was. And he was Vader. Yeah. I love James Earl Jones. It's just crazy, like, how much those things have, like, changed. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all part of the uh, Mandela effect. Which we're not talking about. No, but I love the Mandela effect. I do, too. But that would be, like, one of those we'd both have to work on that mm-hmm. for an episode because it's so big. It is. And it covers everything. Yeah. Just, like, the Matrix, Matrix glitches. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard about that, but somebody was talking about it on a podcast. I don't remember, so. I have no idea. I don't either. Shall we get into this? We yeah. didn't do our intro. Hi, and welcome to <laughs> We Love Dead Things. I'm Candy. I'm Laura. And I'm still, I sound exactly the same every time. You do. It's like we recorded this for like every episode in the future, except for it's as bad quality as each of our episodes is, like the same bad quality. I feel like that just adds to our quirkiness because, you know, we're super quirky. Yeah. I'm also really hyped up on caffeine, so I'm extra quirky. Yeah, Sprite doesn't have caffeine in it, so... I am overly caffeinated today because I just want to sleep all day. I took, like, an hour and a half nap on my couch. Yeah. It was amazing. I love my couch. See, I'm a good... I should be a couch salesperson. You really should, but then... Because I talked you into that one. You didn't even really have to talk me into it. It was cheap, and it's black. Yeah. It sold itself. You just were, like, going on about, like, how comfortable it was. And I'm like, this just, like, adds to the appeal. Black is my favorite color, by the way. And it's a nice couch set. It is. It's really pretty. My cousin came over yesterday, and she really likes it. Yeah. My mom likes it. That's good. I like mine. Yeah. Mine's in a boring beige tone, but yeah, it was free. Yeah, you can't complain <laughs> with free. That so. being said, I complained about my last couches incessantly, and they were free. That's because they were bad free, not good free. Only the big one was bad free. The little one is great. It's currently housing all of our laundry for the last three weeks. It's a good thing to do with an extra couch. It really is. It doesn't take up any space for us to sit on. My boyfriend's almost six feet tall, and he can stretch out on the big sofa. Yeah. So that's nice, because the other couch, like, if he stretched out that way, his feet would be hanging off the edge. Yeah. It also tried to kill him a couple times. He sleeps on the couch a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I've given up trying to make him go to bed. He doesn't want to get up. He doesn't have to. So today we're talking about aliens. Mine's okay. an abduction story. Mine sort of is an... Well, I mean, it discusses abduction. Mine's an abduction story. Mine is also... <laughs> I'm convinced this is bullshit. Oh, yeah. No, mine is bullshit, too. But it's still a good story. It's fun. Sometimes you need some bullshit to go with the fun. And it could be true, but 
It's most likely bullshit. Oh, I watched a interview with the guy in my story because he's still alive. And, I mean, this whole incident happened like 30 years ago. So he's still relatively young because he was like 30 when it happened. So he's like in his 60s right now. And just the entire thing was bullshit. And I'm not skeptical in any way or form. I'm totes skeptical when it comes to other people's stories. For my own, I'm like, this totally happened. But when it comes to other people's stories, I'm like, did that really happen, though? I just want to assume that everything truly happened. And... Maybe I'm a dreamer. Maybe I'm just really gullible, and I'm probably just really gullible. But I like to believe it. Most of the time, his retelling of his own events was just, like, so obviously overdone. And this is a famous guy. Yeah. So do you want to go first this week, since I'm pretty sure I went first last week? Sure. We are going to discuss the encounters of Whitley Streber, which I thought was Whitney Streber, but his name is Whitley. With an L, not an N. Sorry, my eye was twitching. Yeah, they couldn't see it. I know, but you were, like, looking at me like you're waiting for me to respond, and I'm over here, like, messing with my eye, like, not even responding. It happens. So, Whitley Streber was born in 1985 to Kathleen, Mary, and Carl Streber. He was a lawyer. I'm assuming his mom. He was born in 1945, not 85. Okay. I'm already fucking up. It happens. He time traveled into the past to get an alien story. The incident happened in 1985, so. And that's probably one of the only dates you're gonna, few dates you're gonna get. Fuck you. So what happened was something happened when he was a baby. And in the future, he decides that he wants to figure out what it was. And so he builds a time machine and goes back to the day that he was born. Well, who doesn't want to witness their own birth? To see the weird shit that happened. And then he's stuck in that time. So there's actually two versions of him out there. But one's been kidnapped by aliens. Well, and one is a paradox. So he can never encounter himself. That's why one got kidnapped by aliens. It's mm-hmm. the baby one. Yep, he went with Doctor Who. <laughs> so fucking asshole. I'm gonna go with Doctor Who. I feel like my story is probably better than his. Oh, by it's now. <laughs> way better than his. So he went to Central High School in San Antonio, Texas. He attended the University of Texas at San Antonio, which would have been my college had I not copped out and decided to go to massage therapy school. I am a failure at life. He also attended the London School of Film. He graduated from both in 1968. He worked for some ad firms in New York City in his early career. Not all that interesting, but he decided that he wanted to branch out and do writing instead. He had a couple best-selling fiction novels. Um, They're horror novels. One is called The Wolfen and the other is The Hunger. They became like big market movies, apparently. And I think I've seen The Hunger. It sounds familiar. What's the plot behind it? I don't know. Oh. The title just sounds familiar. Yeah. It sounds like it could be it sounds like a, a lot movie. of things, though. Yeah. I think they're about aliens. Okay, because it sounds like a B-movie for zombies. It also sounds like teeth. Yeah. 
It's about a girl's vagina that bites off dudes' penises. That's what the hunger is, not teeth. Okay. Just kidding, that's teeth. That's basically the whole plot right there. What's with all these... Sorry, total sidetrack. What's with all these movies, like horror movies, coming up with, like, plots about, like, sex? Like, It Follows or whatever that one was, and then... That C word for disease that you can, like, move from one person or contaminated or whatever with that girl who got that STD that, like, was killing her and, like, she was turning into a zombie or something. I have no clue. Sex sells. Yeah, that's crazy. Also, unprotected sex is bad. But then again, my daughter has proved that protected sex isn't always going to help. Yeah, I just don't get it. Uh, sex works, especially if the people are moderately attractive. It's just dumb. It is. Okay, that was the end of my side tangent. All right, where were we? The Hunger. Pretty sure I've seen it. Pretty sure I haven't read it. He had a couple of less successful horror books called Black Magic and The Night Church. I am going to talk to you about his backstory a little bit because it makes a big deal into what happens to him later. So... He did a couple... He turned to speculative fiction and worked with James Konetka. Um, and they wrote together War Day, which was about the dangers of nuclear war. And also Nature's End, was about, which was about environmental apocalypse. And I'm pretty sure I've read Nature's End. It sounds familiar to me. I've read a lot of books. I'm 29 and I've probably read about a thousand books, if not more. Everything runs together after a while. He also wrote um, Wolf of Shadows, which was the about the aftermath of nuclear war. And that was actually a young adult science fiction novel. And I know I've seen that book somewhere. So later he wrote Cat Magic, which was published with a man named Jonathan Mary- Barry who was billed as an aerospace consultant and a practicing witch. But later on, it comes out that Jonathan Barry was actually a fictitious person and that Strieber wrote the book on his own. He wrote a whole bunch of short stories in the 90s. Um, A couple of them got put onto the Twilight Zone TV show. And he also wrote one of five gajillion retellings of A Christmas Carol that was made in 2012. Not interested in that because A Christmas Carol is the same thing no matter how you write it. Why would you rewrite that? Everybody rewrites it. Why? Because it's popular. It's all about going from being a total jackass to the nicest person on the planet because you realize what you're doing is going to turn you into a bitter miser and nobody will ever love you. And humans want to be loved. Even humans like me who hate other people. It's just stupid to rewrite a story that's been written so many times already. Well, there's tons of retellings of A Christmas Carol, and they all have different little swings to them, like minor little things like Scrooge, Bill Murray. Wasn't he an actor or something in the movie? Yeah. And then there's the one with, um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but, like, she was a pop singer. Yeah, but it's just, ultimately, like, you can spin little twists on it, but it's the it's literally the same thing that's why i'm like eh, i don't care to see or hear about it it's gonna be the same thing every time and they always have this it's always scrooge it is always scrooge so now we get into his encounters 
which go back in time. So let's jump into our TARDIS and whiz off. And then we can get stuck in the past and our baby selves have to be abducted by aliens. Otherwise, it creates a paradox which rips open. Oh, we weren't even born yet. This is 1985. I know, but we get stuck. So when 1989 comes around, we have to make sure that our baby selves are abducted by aliens. Otherwise, or at the very least, just move by 1989 because neither of us were here in, in this town in 1989. I mean, that's true. If I went back in time, I would not come back to this town. Oh, my God. There was nothing here in 1989. <laughs> we moved here in 1991. I can, guarantee, I can tell you right now. I've basically seen this town grow up. I don't think I could do there it. there wasn't a whole lot here. I'm not getting in the time machine. More than what? The, you know what? There's more than when my mom lived here. They didn't have cell phones back then, so it made it a lot harder to ignore everybody around you. Oh, no, I didn't. This is a farming community. Yeah, but I'm not going to stay here. It would have been actually not too horrible. Okay, so now we shall travel to upstate New York on December 26th in 1985. In his book, Communion, Screeber talks about his encounters that evening. So this is all from the show that I saw, um, which was an A&E, from A&E somewhere. And this is why it's so ridiculous. So he says that that evening, not even that evening, but every evening, he was super uneasy. So they lived in a cabin in the woods. So, you know, creepy. He's from San Antonio. It's a pretty big area. He's a city guy. He lived in the city. He was from New York at that point having lived there for a while in his ad firm. So every night after his family went to bed, he would wander around the cabin to make sure that the doors and the windows were like really secure. He didn't, he was worried that somebody would be trying to get into his place, which is understandable. Like little cabins in the middle of nowhere are super easy to get into unless you're like a survivalist, which I'm not, but we're going to pretend I am because I think I'm way cooler than I really am. He had this habit of being so paranoid that in the middle of the night, he would wake up and run around his house to make sure that everything was locked up really tightly, which I have anxiety and a little bit of OCD. And I do that as well. And I live in town, but I also live in the ghetto. Yeah. And a crack den. So you kind of have to do that. <laughs> um, well, one night, he woke up this night, I should say, not just one night, but the night of December 26th. He woke up to his normal feeling of paranoia. But this time, he felt like something wasn't right. And then he lost time. He went back to sleep, I guess. Well, later on, he wound up going to see a hypnotherapist. And during his session with this person, he recalls what happened. He remembers feeling like there was something else in the room, something in, like near a window. And he could tell that it was like there was something else because it was blocking out what little tiny moonlight would have been coming through the window. And it was big. It was a big black thing, whatever, because it's dark in the room and he's backlit. So it's going to look more black. In the show, they show the, in the TV show, like the little retelling shows it coming towards him. And it's your typical gray like, you know, it's got the big head and the funky eyes and the slits for nose and you can't see its ears. It's a gray. 
except for it's tall, not short. So more signs version of a gray yeah. and less um, Seth Rogen in that movie. Yeah. You know what movie I'm talking about? I do. I want to call it Rango, but that's the movie about the lizard. And that yeah. was Johnny Depp, not I Seth Rogen. I actually Rogan. don't know the name of the movie, but I do know what you're talking yeah. about. Paul. Paul. That's Paul. right. Paul. Okay. So he remembers being terrified. He wasn't sure what it was. He wasn't sure why it was there. And he was terrified of it. And he knew deep down that it was going to do something to him. So he recalls later on after the hypnosis, like he winds up coming out of the hypnosis because during the session, apparently he started freaking out. So the hypnotherapist pulls him out of the recollection or whatever you want to call it. And after that, he starts having flashbacks of the incident. And he remembers being in a different area, not necessarily a different area of the house. So it was the show puts him on the craft. It shows him on the craft surrounded by these greys. And he's terrified of them, obviously. Like, you don't know why you're being abducted. They're not actually doing anything to him. They're just surrounding him. Which is more terrifying than being operated on or probed in your butthole. Like, if they're just standing there staring at you, that's weird. I'd kind of rather have them stand there and stare at me than probe me in my butthole. I mean, I don't want to be probed, but, like, don't just stand there and stare. Like, make me dance or something. I don't know. I can do the chicken dance. No, just stand there and stare. No, make me do something. Like, I'm really slow, so, like, don't do anything that scares me because I'm not going to get away. After this point, he writes his book, Communion. And the book is basically all about this whole encounter that he had and later on he writes more books talking about it a little bit more well after like the big boom of communion which actually became a new york times bestseller um hardcover and paperback that whole area that they were living in swarmed with people looking for aliens but they were like super stupid about it just like with the blair witch project they were all over the place being ridiculously extra trying to come contact with the visitors, but they couldn't get a hold of them. Well, at this point, Whitley Strieber and his family fell into severe financial hardship and they actually wound up unable to pay the mortgage on their ca- on their cabin and they had to leave. The night before they left, he sat down and just meditated, trying to communicate with his visitors. He wanted them to come to him one more time. He wanted them to do something to help him. And he got nothing. So the next day, they packed up their stuff and they left. And he never went back to the cabin. The book, which was when it became a bestseller, was actually had over 2 million copies sold, which at that time was like 1987. It's a pretty good big deal. How are they unable to pay for the house if he's making money from this book? Well, he probably had debt. Yeah, maybe. Like, college isn't cheap, and he went to two different colleges, one abroad. That's true, but that's still a lot of money for a book. Plus, he's written other books that have been very popular. He might have got himself into debt prior to all of that. The debt that I accumulated over several years, if I won, like, $50,000 and I got to keep thirty-five, I would have $5,000 to my name. And I'm not even 30. Yeah. 
Because then you also got to think, like, the money that you get from all of that, you're only going to get a small portion because you have to pay your editors, you have to pay the publishing house, you have to pay 10,000 other people because they work for you. And then you get a cut. Even if that's half a dollar per book, so 50 cents per book, that's still a million dollars right there. It could also be bad money management skills. Yeah. I have terrible money management skills, so... I can tell you all about how that works. But at least you pay your bills first. Yeah, and it took me how long to pay my bills? That's why I'm almost, like, bankrupt at 29. No, not anymore. I'm basically out of debt at this point in my life. But at one point, I was almost bankrupt at a very young age. And that's how, like, that just happens. You know, people are stupid. It takes a while to learn from your mistakes. And in his case, that could have been the issue. Yeah. Um... Throughout his interviews with other people in his books, um, he constantly refers to the entities as the visitors. They're always the visitors. They're not aliens. They're not entities. I call them entities because it doesn't necessarily have to be an alien visiting him. It could just be a fiction, a figment of his imagination. Um, so, but he calls them the visitors. And he doesn't really describe them as anything well he wrote a follow-up book called transformation which is transformation was originally published as a non-fiction book but it was later changed to fiction and it stayed on the top 10 bestseller list but he was not happy that that book was turned into a fictional publication they turned it they turned it into fiction instead of nonfiction because he was stating that this book transformation was about encounters that he had later on apparently he just kept saying that by changing it from nonfiction to fiction that it was proof of how blindsided our world is to other encounters that they're still trying to black out other things which is true our government and media are constantly trying to put a veil over everything or the publisher thought it would make more money if people thought it was a fiction story instead of a true story i would rather buy a fictional story about aliens than a autobiography yeah about aliens so they were just trying to make a book it Mm -hmm. wasn't even about trying to silence a story right it was about this is how we're going to publish this book because it's going to make more money this way I think for him, these books weren't money makers, though. This was him getting his experiences told. He wanted other people to know what happened. And that's what he cared about. They still read the book. Right? If I felt like I might get anything from it, I would read the book. But I really don't want to. Since 1987, he has wrote four additional books. One I already said was Transformation. The next was called Breakthrough, The Next Step. That was like a reflection on the original two books and his other additional contact that he had with his visitors. And his he had another book called The Secret School, which was just a bunch of memories from his childhood. So I'm like, eh. He's from San Antonio. It's probably all about ghosts. And then there was one called Solving the Communion Enigma. What is to come? And... In that one, it's basically how advances on 
scientific understanding. And he states, among other things, since I wrote communion, science has determined that parallel universes may be physically real and that time travel may in some way be possible. It's basically a consolidation of UFO sightings and phenomena, including crop circles, alien abductions, mutilations, and deaths in an attempt to discern any kind of meaningful overall pattern. Well, I mean, that's true, because if you watch all three Cloverfields, they're actually parallel universes, Mm -hmm. so they all don't happen in the same universe. And the reason that the aliens come or the giant monster thing comes is because in the Cloverfield Paradox, they do that thing in space that I can't remember the name of, even though I literally just watched the movie. Story of my life. And uh, they do that, and it causes these rifts in all the parallel universes and puts the monsters there. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, I don't think I could get through all of that. Yeah, did they can get through that? Um, so a couple quick, like, tiny things. I'm going to wrap this up because it's basically not even about aliens anymore. Um, in communion, he wrote of having told friends over the years that he witnessed the UT Tower shooting in Austin on August 1st, 1966 when he hadn't even been there so basically he's a fucking liar and he actually like he says he basically admits it for years i have told of being present at the university of texas when charles whitman went on his shooting spree from the tower in 1966 but i wasn't there for years i have explained my sudden departure by saying that i couldn't stand the place after the charles whitman whitman sniper incident the truth was I could have remained after that incident. It was my secret terror that drove me away. And, like, later he's going on to say, I had just had a Coke. I was walking from the student union to the academic center, which was an open-shelf library near the tower, when I heard a sharp bang that echoed off the university co-op across the street behind me. And the reason I am alive today is that I didn't turn around. I thought it was coming from the tower. Maybe I saw some movement out of the corner of my eye. All the people in front of me thought the same sound. Thought the sound came from the co-op in front of us, not the tower behind. The next thing I saw was a little boy on a bicycle coming toward me. His head just exploded. I didn't hear that one. I knew then that it was coming from the tower. The other people all took cover from the shielding. Took cover that shielded them from the co-op but left them exposed to the tower. They were all killed, shot. I ran to a little retaining wall about three feet high, which was near the base of the tower building, about 20 yards from it, and I laid down there. He shot two girls in the stomach right behind me, 30 feet away from me, and they were lying there on the grass, screaming, begging, pleading for help, trying to crawl along. One girl's legs wouldn't work. The other one was vomiting pieces of herself out of her mouth. All I could smell... And I could smell the blood and the odor of their stomachs, what was in their stomachs and their colons. The smell was horrible, coming out of these poor kids, two young coeds. And he did that to get me and this other guy who was hiding behind this embankment to come out. I stayed there. I was sick with dread, watching them die, knowing that the gun was waiting. 
and the other guy suddenly went out and tried to pull one of them away and got shot in the head and killed. Women just shot the top of his head off. I stayed right where I was for a long time until I saw them with my own eyes bringing Whitman's body out. The ambulance men came to me and said, you can come out now, he's dead, but I would not move until I saw him. That's apparently what he was telling people. That's fucked up. I've heard a lot about the University of Texas um, shooting, and it's it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, no, it's horrible. And I feel like you shouldn't make stuff up about that. Yeah, you shouldn't make anything up like that. Like, I've been in a, like, school that had the, a couple of times we've been in lockdowns because of people. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's not, like, if you weren't there, don't act like you were. No. When I was younger, um, I think it was, like, 12, a guy that lived a couple homes down from my parents, for some reason, I'm not sure why, my dad never told me, and if I ask him now, he probably wouldn't remember, Um, but he had basically taken his own family hostage and was standing on top of the roof of his trailer with a sniper rifle, waving it around. He didn't shoot. He never shot. But the whole incident was terrifying. Um, And my dad was actually working for one of the local prisons in the area at the time. And he offered police his services to help out with what was going on, trying to detain this man, my dad's former army. So he felt like it was his duty to help out. Um, And he had his own weapon available and he went out to help them and I'm not sure exactly what happened my dad had me hide in the farthest room on the floor just in case something happened he wanted me as far away from it so I didn't see anything and I would never want to be that person to say I saw this happen I saw my dad running out to help the police with his gun drawn and seeing the police advancing on this man. Like, that is a horrible thing to say. People's lives were in danger. And that's not something that you should put out there. And we've had... The area that we live in is not the best. I remember my middle school going on lockdown because some guy was running from the cops and he ran through our campus. So they locked us down and I was in band. Not sure what happened. I know that he wound up being detained later, but they left us on... They had us stay on lockdown for quite some time after like he literally ran through campus didn't stop he never stopped he just continued going through he was just running through because it's a pretty open school everything here is open and that was it but that doesn't mean that you make shit up people die yeah i don't know what happened to that guy actually I wouldn't know. I was like 11. <laughs> I didn't care. It happened during band practice. I am a nerd. I am a band nerd. Like, I was just pissed that he threw us off our groove. Because my band teacher was fucking Hitler. She was German, too, on top of it. She was legit, like, the female Hitler with a bad 1984 haircut. I did not like her. Anyway, so that was that. That whole thing kind of makes me mad. That's pretty much where I'm going to end it with him. There's a few more things, but it's more like up-to-date stuff, stuff that he's into now that don't really have to do 
with aliens. So that is Whitley Strieber and his encounters with the visitors. I'm convinced it's bullshit. Yeah, that sounds like it's bullshit, to be honest. It completely sounds like trash. But it caught my attention. So my turn. Your turn. (laughs) So mine is the mysterious disappearance of the Australian pilot Frederick Valentich in 1978. It's a really long title. I stole it from a YouTube video. Everything I have came from Wikipedia. (laughs) So Frederick Valentich was a 20-year-old Australian pilot who accumulated 150 hours of flight time in just two years. Jesus. Yeah, and this is in 1978. So on October 21st, 1978, he was on a training flight from Moribin to King Island in Australia. I think I wrote the name for the city wrong. Melbourne, maybe? No, it wasn't Melbourne. It's it's kind of like what I said, but I think it's spelled... It looks like it's spelled wrong. So, this flight would have been 125 miles long over the Bass Strait located in southern Australia. At 7.08 p.m., Valentech radioed the Melbourne Flight Service to report a UFO following him at... 4,500 feet. They responded by telling him that there was no traffic near him at this time, but he insisted that he saw it pass 1,000 feet above him, moving at rather fast speeds. He described the UFO as having four bright lights with a green light, and the UFO was long and metallic-y. For the next several minutes, he reported the UFO movements. He said it felt like the other pilot was toying with him and orbiting above him. Also, it seemed like it was moving towards him at times. After a few more minutes, he reported having engine trouble. The radio officials asked about the UFO once more, calling it an aircraft, and his last words were, it isn't an aircraft. After that, all the radio officials heard was a metallic scraping sound. So, Frederick's father came out saying that Frederick was a huge believer in UFOs and was worried about being attacked by one. It also came out that he failed his examinations to become a commercial pilot and that he received several warnings about flying into clouds and restricted zones, which could potentially put him in jail Mm -hmm. because of that. Oh, a UFO group later reported that others had seen the lights from the UFO that night. Also, one person took photos, but they were deemed too blurry to really identify anything in them. There was also a group searching for a witness account of a farmer who had stated he saw the UFO going after the plane and that the UFO and plane collided in some way and that the UFO took off with the airplane attached while the airplane was leaking oil. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Not all these accounts are fairly recent, mm-hmm. like two thousands recent. Mm-hmm. This happened in nineteen seventy eight, and so it's not really considered credible, especially since nobody knows who the farmer is, and the other dude's pictures came out so much later. Like, it could very easily be doctored information. Yeah. So five years after the di- disappearance of Frederick, the engine that 
matched his plane was washed up on a beach beach shore. So basically, they're saying that they think he crashed. Huh. I'm gonna pull this up. Yeah. Sorry. It looks more done now. Okay. So debunkers of this story actually have a few ideas. So the first one is that Frederick was already worried about UFOs and could have imagined some sort of UFO in the sky. There's actually Mars, Jupiter, I can't, I didn't write down all the n- names. There are four star planets that were really bright that like visible the, to the human eye bright. Yeah. They think that because your brain doesn't automatically like, connect the, the dot things that yeah. you try to put, like, make it seem like something's actually there when it's not. Mm-hmm. So he could have imagined the metallic-y long shape, and it was really just four stars. Yeah. So they're thinking that that could have been possible, and because the sun was setting and he was flying a plane, if you're not watching your control panel, you can actually start downgrading mm-hmm. into a, they call it a graveyard something. I can't remember. It's like a graveyard slide or something like mm-hmm. that. But if you downgrade enough, the engine on your airplane actually starts messing up mm-hmm. because you're using more gas that way. So, and the way the sun is, like when it's setting, if you're not paying attention, you can start downgrading. Because you're, and, like, moving with the sun or something? Yeah. And so they're thinking that he saw those planets. He was more focused on those and not watching his instruments. Mm-hmm. And downgraded and crashed into the ocean. Ooh. So there's that theory. And let me... Because I mixed that... Th- well, two together because they're pretty much together. Mm-hmm. So, he, that night, he actually gave different reasons on why he was flying to different people and never radioed King Island about landing there. hmm So, they had no idea he was even coming. So, skeptics actually believe that the real reason why he went out that night was to look for UFOs. hmm And that's why he was so focused on finding a UFO. So, that's one. And then the last one is... Some people actually believe because of his failure with the commercial airlines and possible prison Mm -hmm. that he actually faked this whole thing and landed somewhere and disappeared, like, into society. Could be. The Melbourne police actually received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing near Cape Otway. At the same time, Valentek disappeared. Hmm. So. Fishy, fishy, fishy. Those are the potential theories behind why Valentek went missing. I'm actually more likely to believe the one with the experts, how they said the stars were bright that night and that he just downshifted. Yeah, he got distracted. Yeah, because if he thinks that he's in a fight with this (laughs) UFO that's not really there... You know, and that's why it would seem like it's toying with him because it's staying like an equal distance away because it's stars. Right. <laughs> They're not going to get like 
right on top of closer. him. There's also another theory that he was accidentally upside down and the lights he was seeing was actually his own plane's reflection off of the water. That could be. That could happen. But I'm less likely to believe that one because I feel like even going at those speeds, you would know you're upside down. But I'm not, like, a scientist. Like, I'm not, like, I don't understand that because I've never flown a plane upside down. I've never been on a plane, so I couldn't tell you in the first place. But I have been on a roller coaster, and you can know when you're upside down. Yeah. That Hmm. one I'm less likely to believe. I like the idea of him disappearing into society to avoid prison time. I like that idea, too. But I think because the engine did wash up, so... Mm -hmm. But he could have landed safely and then put the plane in the water yeah or he could have landed in the water if he was a strong enough swimmer he could have taken himself to shore and just let his plane he couldn't have landed in the water he would have had to land somewhere and then let it roll into the water because most planes will shred to part if they land in the water well then maybe he auto ejected himself in the 70s they would have had the equipment to auto eject it's confirmed that he that somebody landed though Mm -hmm. so he would have landed yeah near that place so and if all they found was the engine then they wouldn't have been able to look and see if there was missing equipment from an ejector seat well it makes more sense if he in my mind if he landed and rolled it Mm -hmm. just because why would an engine wash up to shore unless it's not that far away from shore it takes time for stuff to wash up on shore yeah but a lot of things that land in the ocean wind up on land eventually yeah no they do pretty much everything Mm -hmm. but it just seems kind of weird that the engine like is the only thing that showed up well and that it's the engine out of everything because the engine's heavier than some of the other stuff on the plane so one of the heavier objects making it to the shore before lighter objects he dismantled it before disposing of it so which is why you don't litter in the ocean you guys yeah PSA, littering is bad for the environment, especially when your continent is a giant reef. And that's pretty much my whole story. I like that. Yeah. He just disappeared. Like Amelia Earhart? Yeah. Except for not as cool. Because he he wasn't a female? He's like the lame version of Amelia Earhart. Well, Amelia Earhart, you know, actually was a pretty good pilot. She was. And also wasn't going to go to jail. <laughs> no. But she may have been cannibalized. I actually don't believe that at all. I just really wanted to say that. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend a podcast. I don't have one, so please. This is one everybody already knows about this one anyways. But I started listening to them, and I really like them. So it's last podcast on the left. I heard an episode from them today. Yeah. I really like them. I like their flow. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're pretty chill. They're funny. They have a lot of side stories, though. Mm-hmm. So they have one on Michael Jackson right now about the documentary Leaving Neverland. Oh, or I want to see that. Yeah. I sat down yet. So they do like a whole side story talking about that. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I have a movie recommendation. Are you back on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Everybody should see Captain Marvel. It's actually way better than I expected. I wasn't expecting much out of it. Because, like, the actress that plays Captain Marvel, she's known for being kind of dry and not all that interesting. But she did a good job. 
She did a very good job. Not to mention, I read this um, little snippet about her recently that because she wanted to do a lot of her own action sequences, she started doing like CrossFit and stuff. And she was able to like hip thrust 400 pounds. And she pushed a car uphill by herself. She's tiny. She's like 130 pounds, maybe. And that's just because like she's freaking strong. And she doesn't look to be very tall. Like somewhere between your and my height, which there's what, two inch height difference between us? So, you're five one, so yeah. yeah, so she's like somewhere between five one and five four. She's not very tall. I'm five three. Okay, well, then there's Thank a three. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, well, then there's like a little bit of a difference. She doesn't look super tall, and she could be just compared to other people. Like in the movie, she's with Samuel L. Jackson quite a bit, and he's fairly tall. So it was weird. It was the first time in my life I've seen Nick Fury without his eye patch. Yeah. It was weird. Like, you see Samuel... I can't comment on it because I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't... I mean, it happens in the... Like, the movie takes place in 1995. So, like, this is pre-Avengers. So, Nick Fury has both eyeballs. It's weird. Like, we've been seeing him with only one eye since Captain America. Yeah. So, it was weird. It's good, though. There's a cat that terrifies aliens, and the aliens are really sarcastic and stupid, and it's amazing. It's actually a really good movie. My daughter loved it. Um, she told me today that she is a superhero. She wants to be a superhero. I think she finally found a superhero that she likes better than Superman. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> oh, and they do a tiny little tribute to Stan Lee. Because this is the first Marvel movie to come out since he passed. I started crying. Like, immediately. His cameo in the movie was really funny. Yeah, he pre-recorded a bunch of cameos. Yes, so we're going to continue seeing him in movies. Yeah. Um, For the next couple movies. Which, you're going to cry. Because I cr- if I cried, you're going to cry. Like, I'm not much of a crier, but I shed one tear twice in that movie so i shed two tears for the entire movie and i'm not much of a crier especially in those movies yeah it was good it was really good i loved it yeah and prior to that i'd never had much in like interest in captain marvel mostly because the original captain marvel was not a girl that's part of the newer marvel releases they when they changed a lot of the superheroes to females yeah which i'm not against but i'm a purist Okay, well, I just want to mention that we are leaving Podbean to go on to Anchor because it's free. That's literally the reason why. Yeah. But we'll, you'll all still be able to find us because we can still keep everything on everything because Podbean lets you have a free account where you can redirect it. So we're still going to be on iTunes and everything. It shouldn't affect you guys in any way at all. So if it does, let us know. And yeah, that's it. Have a good night, you guys. Don't litter in the ocean. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to We Love Dead Things. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at We Love Dead Things. Or you can find us on Twitter at We Love Dead Thing because... Twitter wouldn't allow us to add an S. Also, please rate and review us. And you can hear us on any podcast.
podcast catcher out there. Thank you for all your support. Keep doing those spooky things.